Hey, so I am looking out my window right now. I'm in San Francisco uh, in an apartment building in a pretty urban area. I'm in, I'm in Soma, if you speak San Francisco neighborhood. I am looking at three pigeons outside the ledge, uh, outside of my window on the ledge, just beyond my patio. They seem to be I, I, I can't tell which pigeons are male and female. I can't, I can't distinguish between them, but it's, it's like there, there, there's this trio that has this weird dynamic. I can't tell if it's one male who's got two. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Polyamory. It's common in San Francisco. Something you find around here. Hey, so anyway, yeah, this is Jim. I'm, uh, learning to record these things during the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, polyamory. So I, I, I have spent a fair amount of time on the dating apps, done much more of that than I have gone on dates in the Bay Area. Uh, it sounds creepy, but that's not really where I'm, where I'm getting. I, I honestly don't think that's a very effective way. I don't like that that is how that's become the normal way of meeting people. It could be it's just a medium that doesn't work for me. That you get on the, that seems like, I don't know, I'm in my late 30s, that makes it kind of challenging too. But it, you, I, I get on there, it seems like there's a bunch of people clamoring for polyamorous stuff. Ethical non or ethical mon, non monogamy, ethical non monogamy. Okay. I I I don't think it matters the ethics of it. It's just, it's just non monogamy. Um, yeah, people, a lot of transsexuals, transgender people pinging me. Um, which I, I don't have a problem with. I, I've, I've actually thought about that. Like, could, could I engage with, I, 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 so far, I don't think I could bring myself to do it, which is not to put the idea down, but yeah, I, I don't think it's for me. And a lot of couples, like, you know, there's couples on the, on the site saying, like, we're looking to spice things up, bringing a third. Or people who are in marriages looking to like branch out. It's like, it's like a bunch of single people in the world looking for somebody to meet so they can get married. And a bunch of people who are married, who are on the dating apps, looking for somebody they can engage with outside of their marriage. The grass is always greener. <sighs> yeah, I, uh, anyway. I, so I actually got on Tinder like back in January and I, I tried it for a little while. I, just coming out of a kind of a long-term relationship last fall. And I was like, well, I just, I just want to see what happens. I only ended up going on one date and by coincidence it was with a, 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 a girl who I had met previously offline and was acquainted with not on the app. 
which uh, didn't pan out uh, in any way, shape or form. And I, I kind of, in the wake of that, started thinking about, like, I had other conversational threads going with other people I had matched with. And I was I think this is just the wrong way to do this. It, it feels kind of to me like if you go to a, if you go to a, like a networking event, if you're unemployed and it's like, well, go, go find a job at a networking event that's basically inviting a bunch of unemployed people. How, how are you going to find a job there? Like a career fair where you bring in companies, I get it, but do you, do you really want to go to a networking event marketed to unemployed people, but that's going to be who you're talking to? How are you going to find a job there? That's actually, I guess that's an imperfect comparison to draw. It doesn't quite make my point. But I, I mean, it shouldn't be the focus. I guess that's what I'm getting at. My brain is thinking, why would you go somewhere where, where that is the only thing you would really have to talk about, how unemployed you are? If you If you make that like the focus of what you are doing, so I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go onto the app and I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to get really good at dating. I'm going to practice dating. It, it, I kind of came away from that experience after being on there for two or three weeks. And I thought to myself, here's the reality of it. I think you just, you have to just go live your life. You have to go do things, get engaged in the community. You know, that, that's no guarantee you're going to meet anyone, but you do that, you will. In that situation, you're meeting people with whom you already have common ground. It's not exactly an unknown quantity. It's not just some stranger you saw pictures of. And you're, you're thinking, OK, uh, let's, let's give this a shot. You, you have no idea what you're in for. It's just firing in the dark. I don't know. It's it's not something I'm good at. I have such a dislike for technology. And it, I, I don't know how to crack jokes. And once you match up, you try and open with something funny. Like I'm open to humor and conversation, but I, I don't know how you're supposed to I wonder, are you, are you, I don't even know, are you supposed to flirt with women? Like, I know you don't go to sex, and I know you don't send pictures of your genitalia. Like, this is not, I don't, I don't know who does that. But, like, I, I wouldn't even be playfully, flirtatiously romantic. It's like, I, I'm not going to do that with you until I have met you. But is that a, a prerequisite to, like, meeting up? I guess I used to do that when I first tried the dating apps like four years ago. First time I'd ever tried them in my life. I was like, well, okay, newly single, let's, let's explore. I feel like there was a lot more connection. Like I would have conversations on the phone with women. We kind of get to know each other or, or we'd send messages back and forth. 
and I remember whenever we we met, there was always kind of this expectation, like unspoken, but she like the girl like takes my hand and we walk around like we're a couple on the first date, and I'm like, what? Uh, I I don't know if I'm on board with this. I think we have connected. Uh, we we seem to share a lot in common. We can keep a conversation going, and I I I, I wouldn't say the, the women were always attractive. Uh, but that notwithstanding, you can't tell from from not meeting the person. I think you have to meet the person, and and so I, I don't like to put the cart before the horse. I just it, I'm not good at this whole get on the app and try and connect with people. I don't know how to do it. it. It's the wrong way for me to do it. I actually tried, like, as soon as, like, coronavirus, the shelter in place, the quarantine goes into, I, I thought, okay, if there ever were a time that this could, this could possibly work for me, it would be now. There's people out there who would be okay with just having non-flirtatious, long-form conversations with some random person they connect with on an app just to kill time, this would it, this would be the time I could make that work for me. It's going to pay off ever. It would be now. But but I, I got on there. I think I was on there for maybe a, a week or two, connected with maybe half a dozen women. I, I sent messages, heard nothing back. And I didn't, I, I got a lot of likes. Like I got more likes in two weeks than I'd ever gotten staying on the app for like months. I think that had something to do with like passport. Uh, it's this, I, I guess it's a Tinder feature where you can, you can cast your profile to cities away from you. So there, I, I was swiping past profiles of, of women in Russia or somewhere in South America, or in Europe. I don't know, in hindsight, maybe I should have tried to connect with more of them if I really was just looking for conversation. I, I guess I was hoping to, uh, looking for locals, I would talk about San Francisco, what do you like to do around here? I, I've been very focused on that, I guess I my I guess my brain was thinking along those lines, but that's filter to who is around, who might have some cultural similarities with me that we can talk about. Anyway, definitely not fruitful. Um, one of the organizations I was planning on volunteering with was a museum in San Francisco called the Exploratorium. And I, I was in the process of trying to figure out if, what capacity I would like to volunteer my time with them when this all broke out. I went in, you know, got the tour. Uh, that's a wonderful place. If you haven't been, you, you have to go check it out. There's absolutely nothing like it anywhere else in the world that I've ever heard of or seen. It's very hands-on. I think you can appreciate it as an adult. It's a, it'd be a wonderful place to take kids. It's always full of kids. And it, it is very hands-on. It's stuff that you can like 
touch and play with. There are, there are quite a few firsts that came out of there. The guy who founded it didn't like things that you couldn't understand how they were working. He didn't like black box exhibits. But despite that, I think that's actually where the first video game came from. I think, I think Pong was originally an attraction there. Uh, Pi Day originated there sometime in the 80s. Somebody, one of their brilliant scientists, uh, mathematician, like, let's, let's just make a, a day out of Pi and, and somehow work in the food item into it. Uh, yeah, apparently there's, there's a, there's a principle called Buffon's needle. I think that's what it's called. When you drop needles on a uh, piece of paper with lines and given dimensions and the ratio of pins that will fall onto one of the lines versus not, uh, basically versus the total number of pins, that ratio will be roughly pi. Or sorry, the other way around, the total number of pins over the ones that cross the line. That's a way you can demonstrate pi. A few other things too, I can't remember, it escapes me, but it's the kind of place that just is very innovative. And I was reading about the history of it. There's um, a very good book, um, Something Incredibly Wonderful Happens. It was, it, the, the museum was originally founded back in 1969 by Frank Oppenheimer. He was the younger brother of Robert Oppenheimer, who is most well known for having worked on the atom bomb at Los Alamos. As a matter of fact, I, they were, I think they were both physicists. And they both worked on the atom bomb at Los Alamos. Um, Frank Oppenheimer was a very interesting guy. It was originally at the uh, Palace of Fine Arts, the north northwest side of San Francisco, kind of up by the Presidio. I haven't been up there. Um, but they've since moved over to Pier 39. They're maybe a mile or two north of where I live along the Embarcadero. If you haven't been there, go there. If you're anywhere in the Bay Area, make a point of going there once all this madness blows over. It's an absolutely wonderful place. Um, but in the book I was reading about this, like Robert is giving his younger brother, Frank Oppenheimer, some advice early on in his life, kind of some mentoring. He says something to the effect of, you should not live your life trying to impress women. It's like that, that is optimizing for the exact wrong thing. I think he drew the analogy. He said like trying to impress women is like trying to develop a taste in aesthetics or an artistic sense. It's like somebody tells you you have to build a machine and the only requirement you have is that it does not make any noise. 
it's, it's a pointless objective. It's, it's, this is what I, 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 I have a lot of issues with like the pickup artist community. Try, using manipulation tactics to try and get women into bed and that's it. I, I think if you want to do that, I'm sure there are some women who are into it, but I would just say, come correct. Just be upfront about it and don't feel like you have to deceive. But I don't know what kind of objective is that? What a subculture of people who just get together for the point of hitting on women? Like that's what you're going to try to become better at? I, it, it, it strikes me as being a very odd skill to try and cultivate. It, it, I, this is why I can't bring myself to get to, to practice and get better at using the dating apps. Why would I do that? Why would I invest any time getting... I, I'm, of course, hoping I would find somebody that I can, I could just spend, I, I, I'd like to get better at doing life. You focus your, focus your efforts on doing life well. I think if you're doing everything right, the whole be impressive to women thing, I think that takes care of itself. This, this was what Robert said to Frank ultimately. He said like, being successful with women is not something you do. It is something that happens. It's an emergent property of living your life well, knowing that you're doing something correctly. Following your passion, whatever, you know, whatever it is you're, you're doing. I don't know. It seems like, I think it's still Tinder. And if women are going to hit on men, I think it's still Bumble. There's definitely been other things that have risen up i think i think those are still the two main players i have the same problem you can use you can at least use bumble to meet friends it, it would be something i could conceivably use to like just let's not try and engage women but just like let's meet guys i i i, I tried that once and i was not on there for more than five minutes just because I reading these tiny descriptions, people saying, here's what my hobbies are. Here's what I'm interested in. I'd like to do this. I, it, it, it was, I don't know. I, was like, I guess this is what it looks like to women when they're looking for guys. I, I couldn't make sense. I was like, I don't, I can't read these guys. I don't know which of them. You, you just don't know. I was talking to a friend of mine from high school yesterday. He he was talking about a classmate of ours, somebody who was in our graduating class, and neither of us knew him very well, or at all. I don't think I ever talked to him, uh, but I, I definitely knew who he was. My friend told me the name. I was like, oh, right, right, him. Um, turns out he, like, if you go online and, like, look for traces of him, he, he has published a book and I'm not friends with him on Facebook. The, the, my friend that I was talking to is, and he said, 
yeah, I've been, I've been looking. It looks like this guy is very much a schizophrenic. And I, 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 I kind of followed what he was telling me, like the threads of the story, like what is he posting on Facebook? What is in this book? I looked up the book and read some parts of it. It is definitely way out there. It's possible that there are some parts of it that are true, but it, it goes off on a tangent and talks about things that are demonstrably false. Things that you wouldn't know that are just, that are, there's no way that is. So uh, it definitely seems like there's something there, schizophrenia. I, I was wondering, I those people are out there. Apparently it's the same proportion of men and women. They, they're both predisposed in the same proportion of the population to schizophrenia. Apparently it comes on women later in age, I think, a few years later on the average. But the thing is, it's kind of like you could talk to somebody like that. Like if you went on a date with somebody who was schizophrenic like that, I don't know how long, how long would it take you sitting there talking to the person before you realize, you know, something is off. Something is verifiably off. And I, I, this, I need to get away from this person. How, how long until the delusion just is, is so readily apparent to you that you, you're like, okay, I gotta, I guess it depends. It depends on where the conversation goes. I feel like you could conceivably get through one date, like an hour in a coffee shop, and get to another one, and you wouldn't realize until then. It did remind me, when I, when I first moved to California from Detroit, living in, in Santa Barbara, I got an apartment. It was on the second floor um, like three units on the top level and we're on one end and somebody moved into the, to the other side, like the opposite unit, uh, like on the other end of the, of the building, two doors down from us. And he f invited me over to kind of wave me over, said, Hey, I'm your new neighbor. Um, big fella too. Uh, but I, I'm pretty tall. I, I had maybe eight inches on him, but he was, he was big. He was stocky. He was, he definitely worked out. Like I would not have messed with him. He was physically intimidating despite his shorter stature. And the things he was saying, like he just, they didn't seem like there were any boundaries right off the get go. He's asking me about this or that and the rapid fire. And I, something's something's off, but it's it's I'm not it's not on my radar to look for anything that's off. There's nothing nothing there that couldn't be you know chalked up to. Oh, it's just social anxiety. He's nervous. Maybe I, maybe I'm not being friendly. I'm not smiling enough. Something something I I don't know what it is. Um. It didn't, it didn't take too long before there were nights where he was out there on the balcony in front of his place and he was just yelling. 
just rambling for long stretches about there were themes to it, but what he's saying is to no one in particular, but it seems to be directed towards something. And it, it, there's not a whole lot of continuity to it. You can see there there's elements that repeat, but it, it was just it was just rambling. And I later found out he was schizophrenic. Um, yeah, he the, one of his friends was up visiting. He apparently used to be a football player for a college somewhere in the Bay Area. I don't remember which one. But but this schizophrenia had gotten him dismissed. It had gotten him into trouble. Um, and he was, I, he moved down to California to try and get past that. But he uh, apparently smoked a lot of weed. It was his way of coping with the schizophrenia, but that would that would just make it worse. Like the nights he was out yelling on the balcony out into the sky and nothing, cursing, and it was because he had, it had gotten high. I have heard that, uh, I don't know how true this is. I This is the kind of thing I don't care to investigate that deeply, but if, if you're predisposed genetically to schizophrenia, and some people are, then you can be pushed into it through the use of marijuana. Yeah, so pot was legalized. I don't remember when it became legal. 2018? Something very recent in California. I'm not really for criminalization at all. But... Uh, I don't just just making it completely recreationally legal. I don't. I don't know how good of an idea that is. I I personally think pot is doing all kinds of things to people right now that we don't fully understand. I think it's one large uncontrolled social experiment, and I think we're going to figure it out uh, in the coming years. But we'll look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe we were too hasty there. There's talk about like people who are vaping. Like if, if you if you are vaping, like apparently th that definitely does bad things to your lungs. There's some metals. I, I, it depends on how you're doing it. I guess there are, there are safer ways of doing it. But th there are some vape pens that you're actually inhaling certain chemicals that are just destroying destroying your lungs like I, it's not it's not a safe alternative to just burning it and somebody somebody said this isn't just that there's also people are vaping tobacco i think more more commonly um but some somebody asks someone publicly like we'll, we'll coronavirus like covid-19 seems to be uh, killing a lot more of younger people who are not necessarily in at-risk populations in the United States, and a higher proportion of them are, are dying. The question was, could the prevalence of vaping be a, a contributing factor there? And the answer from somebody who was, who was in the health field, something, it said, it's very possible, but we don't know yet. 
Anyway, so I remain somewhat skeptical. Anyway, yeah, so this, this, this neighbor of mine, uh, I, he lived there for a few months. It was something that happened pretty regularly. Uh, it was most alarming when, like, the nights where he would come over and, like, pound on our door, like he had the sense that there was some something that antagonized him that was in our apartment, and he had to... I just, I just remember, like, my girlfriend and I turned out the lights, just pretend there's no one here. And the neighbor that lived between us, like immediately next to him, was some elderly Mexican lady. The, the sweetest thing. I, I could I could barely speak Spanish by that point. I'd been out of high school long enough. But she she was she was great. And I felt really bad for her because he would go pound on her door and yell things. Now I, I don't know if she knew what was going on. If you spoke English, you would, it was very, very obvious if you knew what he was saying, that he's just off the wall. He has a mental problem. If you, if you didn't, if you were just in some foreign country and there's this big hulky guy who's like yelling angrily, nasty things, and you can't understand a word of it, and he's pounding on your door. I never saw the police show up. I'm absolutely stunned with that. I'm, I'm sure the police did show up. I, I never saw them. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't really tracking the situation. It didn't, it wasn't happening all day, every day, just a couple times a week, maybe scary though. I mean, really, it's, it, if you have a grasp on reality, if you can perceive reality well enough, I, I know we all kind of, lie to ourselves in some small ways but if you, if you if you can function you can perceive reality well enough to function and get by as a normal human being that is definitely not something to take for granted that that just just be thankful you can that you can you can tell the difference between black and white Yeah, anyway, my drug of choice, speaking of all this drug talk, is I, I'm doing caffe- uh, coffee, caffeine, in the interim. That is the one thing I'm I'm ordering from Phil's. Phil's is a Bay Area coffee place. It's very popular among all the tech companies. Um, I found a blend recently called Filtered Soul that I, that I think is delicious. I, I got it. I thought it smelled wonderful. Like I, I, I always get home. I take my my coffee beans home. I like cut open the bag and I I smell them. I I used to like we my, my girlfriend and I used to go shopping at Target when we were dating, and I would just go to the coffee aisle, get a bag of coffee, kind of push that little thing on the front that you can, kind of lets the air out. Uh, and just kind of carried around the store with me and just smell it like an energy burst. Yeah, 
people that her parents thought that was such weird behavior too. They're like, why the hell are you doing just carrying your own coffee and smelling it? Why would you do that? That was such aberrant behavior. I didn't think it was that strange. I just thought I was being creative. It was a different way to kind of get some, get an energy burst. And so I, I, I brought home this filtered soul, which I try. I think I bought it because it was the only available bag of Phil's coffee, maybe any any coffee that I, was available where I found it. And I, I needed some for the next morning because I was completely out. So I bought this filtered soul blend and I got home and I smelled it. And it was it smelled delicious, like chocolate. It wasn't sweet. It just had the... The, the flavor of chocolate, if it could somehow be sweet, but without sugar. And, and it tasted just like that. I brewed it the next morning. It was like drinking an unsweetened chocolate cupcake. It was delicious. And I, I didn't really question. I was like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to keep, this will be my blend for a little while. This will be my roast. A couple bags later, I ended up looking online for it, and it, it, apparently it is hazelnut flavored. That is the chocolatey <clears throat> sort of vibe that I was getting from it. And I'm a pretty traditional guy. I'm kind of... Dennis Leary, the comedian, used to have a, a rant he would go on about coffee should just be coffee flavored. I, I don't want, you know, the maple... some sort of just addition to it. It's like, just it could just be coffee flavored. That's good enough. You know, espresso roast, French roast, the, the according to Hoyle coffee flavor. I, I, I kind of stick by that. I don't, I don't like the gas station coffee that's loaded up with sugar and it's French vanilla. But I, I, I used to go to Denny's a lot when I was in college and we would get those French vanilla cappuccinos which are just, just like gas station coffee. It's just the machine. You push a button, this stuff comes out loaded with sugar and flavoring and some coffee in there. My friends and I used to go there and just drink those. Like we actually knew some of the servers at one. So we would just get these things for free all night. You drink like five or six of those and you'd start hallucinating. We had some absolutely crazy conversations, like batshit crazy discussions about stuff on all these French vanilla cappuccino. It was, oh, something there. Anyway, but I would never, if you, if you showed me a bag of coffee and said, this is hazelnut flavored, I would not touch it. I'd find a stick and push it away from myself. But, you know, I, I guess they kind of Trojan horsed me. Just has some inconspicuous name. It just looks like normal. There you go. They got me hooked. So I've been ordering that. That is the prerequisite. I wake up every morning and I have to, uh, yeah, have to make my Bill's coffee. It's like it's the sometimes the best part of my day. Like once the I take the last sip, the French press is tapped. I got nothing left. 
I'm like, well, that's it until tomorrow. I'm like excited to go to sleep at night. Like I'm going to go to bed a little bit earlier because it means in terms of what I'm aware of, it, it's like the tomorrow morning's coffee will get to me sooner. I'll get there. Like soon it's begun. <laughs> I drink tea also. I, I had a phase last summer where I, I, I have some, I had some coworkers, uh, a couple of guys from Taiwan who used to, I sit, sat right by them and they had a communal teapot that they would use. And they, they, from Taiwan, they, they knew what they were talking about. They would bring tea from Taiwan or China. China would like to have you believe it's the same country, but They'd bring tea in and then steep it. And I, I, I kind of learned from them, okay, really good tea you can you can get multiple brews out of. And it, it has a certain, there's certain qualities you look for in really good tea. And I, I don't know how to pick really good tea. I don't know how to pick really good leaves. I, I know it tastes good to me and what doesn't. That's not necessarily correlated with quality. But like actually true tea... It all comes from the same plant. So there's, there's red tea and what, what the Chinese call red tea, uh, the Europeans call black tea because the, uh, the leaves are black, but the Chinese called it red tea because when you brew it, it, it looks very reddish. So there's, there's red tea and there's oolong tea and green tea. These are the three main ones. And it, it has to do, those are all the same plant. It's, it's leaves from the same exact plant. Uh, but it's a matter of how long you oxidize the leaves. So green, green is the least amount of oxidation. Um, oolong is the next step up. You oxidize a little more, you get to oolong. And then red tea is maximum oxidation. And it, it increases the caffeine content of what you brew as you go up. So black tea or red tea uh, has the most caffeine and it's the strongest. <clears throat> and there, there are other varietals. I, I think it's also a matter of oxidation. Same plant, there's also yellow and white tea, which are much more rare. I only come from mainland China. You can get the other three from other countries and from Taiwan. But I, I, I had to actually, so there was a, there's a tea shop in Mountain View, which is where the company I worked for used to, to be on Castro street. And it's run by this, this lady who is from, she was from Taiwan. I remember asking <clears throat> and uh, she had, she had wonderful tea. She had, very, very good stuff. Like the, my coworkers were very, very particular about the teas that they would drink. I mean, they had a, they weren't snobby outwardly. They wouldn't say, no, if, if you brought something in, they would drink it and be polite. I think to them, tea was tea, but they, they still had their preference, you know. Um, but they, they, they seem to genuinely like the teas I brought from this 
little tea shop in Mountain View. Yeah, I miss that. I wish I still had an excuse to go down there. I don't commute to the South Bay anymore, so that'd be a long way to go just for some tea. But I got very into like getting some good tea, uh, knowing the quantity to use, like weighing it out or measuring it out, uh, knowing what the correct temperature was for the water. Like a green tea, you brew it at 185 degrees Fahrenheit. Most of them. You, you can't pour boiling water on most of these teas or else you'll scald them. Um, and like doing the exact brewing time. <clears throat> Not doing it too long and avoiding the bitter elements from leaching into it. I think they're called tannins. But you just, you do it for the right amount of time, pour it out, remove the leaves. And, uh, yeah, I got I got big into doing that. I've been doing I I have a I kind of got out of it for a while. And in light of this situation, I dug into my reserves and started saying, "Let's let's brew some of this stuff up." Um Yeah, I I love it. Yeah, nerdy got on tea. That's a lot of fun. Um and apparently, like, you have those varietals. Like, you have black, oolong, and green. Uh, most true tea you're going to talk about falls into one of those categories, or yellow or white. And there's a bunch of other stuff, which is anything, like, that's not that kind is, is herbal. Like, just some other pieces of dried fruit. There's very good chai tea that I found in a place that's in the, it's in the Ferry Building, in Pier, whatever Pier number it is. It's just, it's just piers all the way up, the, <laughs> up the shoreline. Uh, the, the Ferry Building um, has a tea place in it, and they have a, this imperial chai. And chai is just, chai is not standardized. It's just, it's just black tea that has certain elements in different proportion, like cardamom, uh, clove, different spices. Like you, you, there's some stock ingredients that you'll typically find in there, but it, it, there, there is no like standard chai tea. It's like whatever, whatever the house makes. It's, uh, yeah, the house specialty. Um, that stuff's delicious. I like that. I wish. I don't know, but the problem is I can't drink caffeine at night. This is one thing I've, like, I missed it. I don't know how I did this. We used to go to Denny's and drink those French vanilla cappuccinos trip to have crazy conversations about physics and black holes or whatever the hell we were talking about. And then somehow I'd go home and just fall right asleep and get, you know, solid six or seven hours of probably wasn't high quality. If you have that much caffeine in your system, I'm sure it's not a deep sleep. I'm sure your REM cycles are not, probably not normal at that point. But uh, at least at least I could do it. I could wake up and function the next day. Um, <clears throat> I've definitely learned I, I can't drink any caffeine after, after uh, noon. If I want to have any prayer of like falling asleep and getting good sleep that night, 
which is kind of a bummer because all the best teas and, and coffee itself, like the, the stuff that you like drinking, it kind of gives you that burst. Like that's all the best stuff. So I'm currently in a search for like, what can I use to, what can I drink? Just fill my days from noon until I go to bed at 10, like 10 hours of, I just want to always have something. Well, what's an herbal tea that, uh, you know, I, I like as much as these other like, coffee and like the, the true teas or chai. Comes and goes. I used to like wild sweet orange, the Tazo tea that they used to have at Starbucks. I've been on that kick with that lately. Uh, I have a ginger herbal tea, which is, I, I, I like ginger. I briefly went on, on a one of those juice kicks that you go buy bottles of juice and just drink them. But I think there's still still some nutrition here. Like you, you that's a a benefit, like a net. You you drinking that instead of Coca Cola, it's a it's a positive. But if you're just squeezing the juice out of green stuff, like you take spinach and press out the moisture, and you just drink that, you're definitely throwing away the fiber. There's a benefit you're kind of just leaving on the table. But ginger was the element. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna make these these juice things and drink them, if you're gonna use like heavy greens like kale and I I I can't I I don't know who eats kale. I don't know how people can do that. But if you're gonna like juice this stuff, like press the juice out of it, ginger will cloak anything. You, you could just you just it just tastes like you're drinking ginger and there there's some green stuff in there whatever like that is the perfect this topper just cloaks anything makes it palatable yeah speaking of mundane pleasures the sun's out i i have like an outdoor patio that i go walk in circles on just to get exercise I listen to a uh, put on my headphones. Listen to a podcast. The sun's out now. This is another in terms of small pleasures, like going out into the sunshine for the first time each day. Uh, I have like this this sunscreen facial lotion. It's like a moisturizer. Also has SPF 30 in it. There's a bunch of like nanoparticles, whatever whatever they are, that shields you from the. Uh, Shields you from the UV rays without being full zinc that gives you the white, pasty look. I get way too excited about this. I'm like, it's time to like lotion up. It's time to moisturize and go step into the sun. I, I just love sitting there like rubbing this sunscreen into my skin. It's the little things, people. It is actually probably the most personal thing I will admit to a stranger that I've just met is that I, I actually do have a skincare routine. It is not a, I, I wouldn't say it's a good routine. It's not an informed routine. I'm not following dermatologists on YouTube, but I, I have, there, there are some things I, I do each night. 
Uh, one of the things I, interestingly enough, I tried collagen recently. And I, in so much as I, I don't think, I haven't heard anything about collagen being bad for you. And considering just how much of our bodies are made up of collagen, just how, how common the compound is, I, I, I think it, people could benefit from taking it. Like I, maybe you don't notice a difference. Um, I noticed a difference. I, I do remember reading that one of the things you can do is find some collagen uh, that you can put on your face, like a collagen lotion, and it has to be it has to be a certain kind so that your skin will absorb it. But you want to you want to couple that with taking collagen orally. It, it's not clear to me. I wouldn't try to explain it, but apparently putting it on topically and ingesting it has, it's the most effective if you do it that way. I remember I'm, the first night I tried that um, a few months ago, I woke up the next morning and I was, I, I was just kind of, I was absolutely stunned. Uh, because my, my face felt like springy. It had this weird elasticity to it that I, I hadn't, like, it felt like there was something, like it was dry and like something not right about it. And it was just like something like a switch had been flipped overnight. I, I spent that weekend. This was like, this was a Friday night. I woke up on Saturday and I was just walking around the city just as I usually do. And I like, couldn't stop touching my face. I was like, this is nuts. I was, how does this, how is my skin like feel this springy? This is starting to sound like an infomercial for something. I'm, this is why I'm not recommending any particular product. This is certainly not medical advice. I, I I'm just talking from my own experience. Here's what happened to me. There's, there's no like, I did it and you can too. This is not that. I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm just feeling time here. It's a beautiful Sunday and I enjoy talking into my phone to no one in particular. But yeah. But also like, I remember I, I do a lot of walking. And I have done marathon running, so my knees are, they're, they're on the clock. They're, <laughs> you know, stretching up to late 30s. I, I, there's no way I can go play any high-impact sport probably ever again. I'm going to have to adopt cycling or swimming. I'm not going to play baseball ever. But the, the walking is impact enough. I get, an, I get enough steps in that you push it for that long and I'll start to feel, I'll start to feel it in one of my knees. Uh, the day after I took the collagen, this was when I was in the habit of walking a lot. Uh, I didn't have that problem. Like it just, I, I was not feeling 
the pain in my knee. Like I, I managed to walk quite a bit without, I don't know if those are correlated because that still flares up and I've been taking the collagen pretty routinely since then. So there's, I don't think there's causation there. That might just be coincidental, but I don't know. Apparently a new thing. I, I, I have read, it's one of those things if you Google it, it's like there are some people saying like, oh yeah, I, I swear by collagen, but it's all anecdotal. If you, if you can find a reputable doctor talking about it, they're kind of like, yeah, it looks interesting. There's certainly no, it doesn't look like there's any reason not to take it, but we can't say conclusively that there's any benefit. I feel like that's most things. Most things that we're buying and sticking into our bodies have the, this has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. I wonder how how they evaluate that. Like, at what point can you not sell something? It's like, we're going to package up something that might very well be dangerous. We'll just put this disclaimer on there. The FDA doesn't know about this. <laughs> uh, you know, buyer beware. I don't know what that actually means, that warning. Anyway, yeah, so there's that. And you know, just some other other creams. I don't know why I do it. It, it's, it feels very American psycho. Like he has that routine where he wakes up and he, he just, he's using six or seven different chemicals. He's spending like 35 minutes every morning just to keep his skin looking good. I, I think I stopped pretty far short of that. It's more just like, I'm just looking for like little victories. Yeah, I like putting on the sunscreen. Yeah, I'm preparing for bed. Let's put on the, the collagen, take the pills. It's weird, man. I feel like I have some friends back in Detroit. If they could only hear me saying this stuff now, they would totally lambast me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I started this off talking about dating apps. And I mentioned you know, transsexuals, transgendered. I actually have a story about this. So I, I do remember when I first got here, I was on one of the dating sites kind of looking around. And I, I, I don't think it was, I, I wasn't looking for anything serious. And I certainly was, I'm, I'm not a hookup guy. But I, I, I got to the Bay Area. I didn't know anyone. I, I lived in like some corner of Palo Alto in some garage, it was just this suburban area, right on El Camino Real, actually. Um, but still, there was not really anything going on around there, um, next to a trailer park. Palo Alto has a trailer park. I don't know if you knew that, but I was living right next to this trailer park. Um, 
it was kind of like, okay, let's get on the dating apps. It was like, this is, this is my connection to the outside world. I could actually like kind of see people. Uh, it felt like, I, okay, this is until I figure out how to socialize around this place, this, this will do, you know, I can, I can read profiles and get to know these people. Um, so I do remember seeing a profile of one girl. Uh, I, I, I knew her name at the time. I wouldn't say her name if I could remember it. I had, she was into scuba diving. That, that was the only thing I, I remembered. I think her username. But like a few months later, like me and my, the people I was living with at the time, a couple of guys, they were from Canada visiting, like doing a semester, both working at Tesla. And they were staying in the house where I was staying because it was a mile from their headquarters. And they, they, they had, they had to try in and out burger. Um, and I was like, you, you guys are probably not missing much, but I get, I, I'm not really that into in and out burger, but, uh, it seems to be a thing. You come to California if you like, oh, I came from Paris. Now I have to try in and out burger. That's, that's our thing. They've got they've got the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower. We have In and Out Burger. That's that's our. You're welcome, rest of the world. So we went to In and Out Burger. They tried. They, they got got a couple burgers. While we're waiting for our food, I noticed this girl sitting over at a table just by herself. This is another one of those situations. Like, there's not really a clear protocol or ethical boundary here like what, what can you what could you what can you do like what what should, what what is too far here so i went over and i said you are so-and-so and you're into scuba diving right and she just kind of nodded i seemed friendly enough seemed receptive she wasn't immediately creeped out but i just mentioned like yeah i noticed you on the uh one of the apps I'm so-and-so, it's nice to meet you. And she was very, she was friendly, but she was kind of like, we're not doing this. She was like, look, if you want to interface with me, do it through the app. She was like, it's nice to meet you, but. And I was like, really? Are, this is, this is the, <sighs> I was absolutely taken aback. I was like, I just, I mentioned in my last episode where I was talking about coming to Silicon Valley and it's just technologies infused everything, even where we don't need it. I was kind of like, really, you have to insist that we initiate contact through the app. I didn't say any of that. I was like, okay, you know, I enjoy your food. And I went back and sat down. I've already kind of given away. It made sense later. You know where I'm going with this. But but I got home and I did at some point. I, it was that same day. But I, I went on the app and found her profile and pinged her. And she was like, I noticed you answered one, you know, a question that says like, you know, would you be comfortable dating with somebody who has undergone surgery to change their sex. And I had answered the question, no. 
And she said, well, that is me. So this seems like a non-starter. I was like, I, I kind of thought, wow, I, first of all, she was very feminine looking, whatever happened, it was very well done. Um, but I don't know, I, I, I did actually think about it. I was like, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to come out in this, this question. But I was like, I really forced myself to just, all right. You, you don't know if it's pre-op or post-op and really you can't ask that question. You know, she didn't tell me she'd already had surgery. She just mentioned somewhere in the process, you know, it, it's either on the horizon. Yeah, I, I really did think about it. And I was just like, no, I don't, I don't think I could consider that. I don't think it's what I'm looking for. I mean, I, I, but, but I did think about it. I guess that's my point is I feel like a good guy because at least I thought about it. Is that my, I guess, is that my message? Am I trying to virtue signal here? I don't know what my point is. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. But I, I did seriously consider it. I thought, well, should I even just go on a date and see where it ends up? It, it's kind of one of those things. I don't feel like you, you necessarily know without trying. I, you, I, I could have gone on the date and it could have, we could have really connected. You, you never know. As I get older, I try to make, go out of my way to be more open-minded about new experiences. Just because I think naturally your mind will close. You become less and less receptive to new ideas, new things, new experiences. You just, you don't want them. So I would try and hedge against that by like being overly open to new ideas. Like Jim, Jim Carrey in Yes Man. Somebody says, let's go do this thing. Like, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the first on board. Somebody at the company I worked at maybe six or seven years ago down in Southern California sent out an email to everyone saying like, hey, I, I've got certified as a scuba, not a scuba, a skydiving instructor. Um, who wants to go skydiving this weekend? I the way he tells the story, apparently within 30 seconds, I had replied and said, yes, I'm in, count me in. Uh, skydiving wasn't quite the thrill that I, yeah, I didn't find it too exhilarating. It just was, I, I, if you go as a beginner, they it's actually somewhat low risk. You have a person like strapped to your back and there's apparently something monitoring their pulse or whether or not they are conscious. And if, if the person passes out, this thing is supposed to detect that and deploy the parachute automatically. And chances are pretty good they're not going to pass out in the first place. So if you lose your mind 
they're just there to handle it for you. They're there to give you the uh, the ability to to guide to guide you along through the process. And it, it's pretty. You know, when people tell me like, go to the left, go to the right, or move your right hand, move your left, I have to think about it, and I, I will more than often guess wrong. I don't know why that I have that blocker. But I, I, when I was falling, like the parachute had opened, you're holding these two hooks. Depending on which one you pull, you can adjust how you're falling. And he was like, now, okay, pull your, pull your left hand down. And I, in this, in this plummeting towards the ground, I pulled the right, my right hand moved. But he had his hands on my hands, so my right hand didn't go anywhere. He's basically, just in case, I'm here to make sure you don't do anything wrong. Um, yeah, it was a fun experience, but I, I, I don't. I, it was beautiful. I did it in Central Valley in Southern California, so around San Luis Obispo, Santa Maria, just south of there. You get up high and you jump out of a plane on a sunny day. And let's be honest, what days are not sunny in that part of the country? It, it's it's beautiful. If you're in California, you're going to go skydiving, you're close by, go go there. Or, or maybe not. I actually, the friend who, the co-worker who invited me to go skydiving, um, like at work the following week, I was talking to him about it and he was like, yeah, you know, the way they were prepping the equipment for our jump before we got into the plane, he was like, it was not quite regulation. It was not up to code. They were doing some things wrong. I was like, well, thank you for telling me that after the fact. I guess I kind of meant that partially sincerely and partially sarcastically. probably enjoyed myself more not knowing that than it of course it all worked out <laughs> i i wonder if they're not they're not going to hear this i wonder if there's, there's probably only one place to skydive on the central coast of california if they're listening to this and i've just slandered them slander spoken right libel is print can never keep those straight. Anyway, yeah, so open mind. Try and keep an open mind. Although there are some things that I know I don't need to do. Try anything once, but there are some things that are extreme enough. You really don't have to think about it that much. Like camping. And I don't mean car camping or just pitching a tent somewhere. I mean, like, spending days hiking into remote wilderness, carrying everything on your back. I knew a guy in Santa Barbara who, like, did that. He would go out by himself, walk for, like, hours, maybe an entire day, get to somewhere very remote, he would camp, spend a day out there by himself. And, and like hike back, like it would be one of his weekends. Pretty burly thing to do. I, I this, this this is just not for me. 
people ask the question, well, how can you know unless you've tried it? And sometimes you just know. Not sure I, I'm aware of all those things, but for me, I, I happen to know. Um, don't need to go camping. I don't think I need to attempt to go on a date with a uh, transsexual person. I guess I, I, there's some things you just know. Open-mindedness can only take you so far. Yeah, so that is... I kind of wonder how other people are... How other people are socializing. How are people pulling it off? I've definitely learned from this that I'm an introvert. And if I'm not an introvert, then I definitely have a point in my life when I need some space from people. Because I have been cooped up by myself, only stepping out for groceries maybe once a week. And only talking to like maybe a couple people sporadically. And I am doing just fine. I, I definitely have the kind of constitution where you 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 don't need constant contact. I, I kind of wonder if I could do the Walden thing, move live in the woods. I think that was that was Walden, right? Like I made a nail and it was a good nail. It's a couple hundred pages of this. The massive men lead lives of quiet desperation. If you're off living in a cabin in the woods by yourself, I don't know how you would know what the massive men are feeling. I think you're projecting, man. I, I, I don't know. I, if, if, if you are somebody who absolutely needs human contact, like almost, and you happen to live alone, I, I wonder if like video chat is sufficient enough for most of these people. I, I have to, I, this has to be the case. Like imagine you're about to be married for some manner of years and for some reason you decide, similar to me quitting my job the month before, that you just decide I need to divorce this person. It becomes acrimonious, it's a war of the roses. It's like, okay, well we have to like live together and sort this out. And then this hits, that has to be the worst situation. You're stuck in quarantine. You can't go out and you're with this person that you've already decided it, it is over. And you, you just you're you're frozen in place. It takes all the patience in the world. You have to like just restrain yourself from like yelling. Yeah, but that that's got to be worse. I'm glad I'm not in that situation. I'm I'm rather glad 
I'm delighted that I'm alone. I'm I'm actually loving this. There's downsides to it. It's not like there aren't difficult days or you know some low periods. But I you know it, occasionally I think like, it would be nice to have somebody to talk to if somebody just came to visit for a bit, like normal life. I, that's that's why I am here talking to you on the phone. I wish I, I haven't been using this time to like do anything work related. I'm, I'm a programmer, but I really have not been wanting to write code. I, I sat down because I know I'm going to have to eventually start pretty soon here. I'm going to have to start applying for jobs. I, I got to like prepare for the interview process, get ready to go without algorithms on a whiteboard. Either that or move someplace else. Um, I, I sat down to try to do that a couple of weeks ago and it just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Like I felt sick to my stomach. It was just this anxiety came over me trying to start the process. Like here, here's what I have to do. I have to learn this material to prep. I have to practice these things in this way, you know, set up this. I, I just did. Something felt wrong about it. And I, I'm not sure if it's just not enough time has passed since my last job, which there was nothing wrong with my last job. Uh, but I, I think I was burned out on doing that kind of work. That happened at my last job too. Like I just, it, I got to a point where I realized I've been here for but I think it was almost four years. And I just got to a point where I had nothing left. I, I didn't recognize the tapering off, like the, the dampening of enthusiasm, the decrease in output. It was just becoming harder and harder. It just, frog and water situation. And suddenly you wake up one day and you realize, I, I, I can't do any more of this. And I, I need... I need more than just a two week break. Like that's not sufficient. It's not enough. I, I, I think my tenure at the job I just left, it, it, it come to an organic end. Um, so I left. Well, it's not as though I don't enjoy the work, but for some reason I need a cooling off period between the shifts. There's a, what is it? Hackbright Academy. It's the, one of the, like there's a bunch of app, like boot camps for developers. It's like they'll basically take you, take you under their wing for three months, kind of teach you how to write code. And then if you get hired by a company, if you get placed somewhere, they get, they get some cut of your, um, salary the first year. I, don't, I think there's some arrangement with the companies or you give it to them. They have all these different models and I, I'm not sure what they are. Uh, I spent a few months till very recently, uh, like the semester ended for her around the time coronavirus hit, um, mentoring 
somebody. A girl who was, um, yeah, looking to break into software. Coming, coming just like me from accounting. Like she was, she's working as an accountant somewhere. And she kind of got to the point where she was like, I, I, this is not intellectually challenging enough for me. I would like to, I'd like to try something harder. So she decided to learn how to program. I was like, that's very much my story, like 15 years ago. So I was like, this is pretty cool. We got paired up. But uh, yeah, and her, for her first project, the one that she built for her final thing to, to hand off, was the same thing I did almost. The first website I ever built was called Liquor Rules. LiquorRules.com. And I, 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 that, that's a little bit too slangy, I think. I remember talking to somebody about it, saying, like, oh, it's, it's Liquor Rules. And they're like, is it like some website full of regulations about what bars can and can't do or like, like rules? I was like, oh, no, it's it's just meant to be like a some dumb rallying cry. I am terrible with names. I don't know how many dot coms I still own. Like there, there was a I, th I think every developer, like web developer goes through a phase where they're just acquiring dot coms. You just going through, you find one that's available. It sounds interesting. Like on the strength of like a good name you find, you're like, oh, I could, I could build a business around that. I'll get it just in case. I'll just sit on it. So ridiculous. Anyway, her project was liquor as well. It was like using an API to get ingredients for cocktails. And she wrote like a recommendation algorithm. So if you say that you like certain cocktails, they'd be saved and it would look for other cocktails with those same ingredients. Cool little thing. Um, yeah, I enjoyed watching her, uh, her build that. And I, I had to kind of, I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. I honestly don't know what I'm doing. But I remember she like showed me the source code. Like here is the raw Python and JavaScript programming languages um, that her code was written in. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is so messy. This is so disorganized. Like, oh my God, you could do. And of course I realized like, there, there's no reason to say any of this. A1, because it doesn't matter. The thing about software is that things only have to be good enough. The economics of it never gets you to, you know, a, a global, maximum you don't get to the highest point of perfection you never need to there, there are people who go so far as to say that software engineering is not an engineering discipline because it's it's not that rigid and not that structured if, if you're a civil engineer or a structural engineer you, you build a bridge the bridge has got to be perfect you have to know exactly what you are doing. There, there is no room for error. The margin of error is, is it's acceptable, is, is extremely, extremely low. If you don't get that right, people, people die. There's, there's no fixing that after the fact. 
and software is not like that. Most of the software you find out in the wild is just this messy stuff. People get it to a point where it's like good enough. You don't even have to verify that it's perfect. Just, just throw it out there. One, because it, it, if, if code is well structured, it doesn't necessarily function better. It's easier to come back and like fix things. But that's, that's something of like an externality. It's like, well, that, that's the future. We don't have to worry about that. And if, since most things are on the web, it's just like you, you have servers running somewhere and like sends JavaScript to the browser. It's not like when you were shipping CD-ROMs to people. If you happen to write code that has a bug in it, it's pretty easy to go in there, find the problem, apply a fix, patch it, and it just immediately goes live to all of your users. The reality of that means that you, you really do not have to expend a lot of effort trying to get all the bugs out of your software from the beginning. Probably good practice for to, to weed out as many of them as you can in advance, but you you don't have to make it perfect. That is the enemy. You, you have a competitor doing the same thing. They are not going to try to make it perfect. You're both just trying to raise each other and get it out there as quickly as possible. It's a contrived. You always hear that like your competitors are going to release it faster than you. Like there are these two companies that are neck and neck in the exact same place, like approaching a marathon tape. It's an inexact analogy, but it has a point. Anyway, so yeah, it's like there's no reason to point at someone's code at that point and say, what? And besides, the thing is, I, I have written that code. I remember the first projects I ever did. The first code you ever write, you don't know what you're doing. You just are copying things that you find online together, you're, you're writing things, you're, just, you're trying to get it to work. And you end up with this Frankenstein of a thing, you kind of know how it fits together, and you're just tweaking parts of it until it works the way you want it to. It's this exhausting process, and by the time you're done, it doesn't matter to you what the code looks like. If it works, you just say, I need to breathe. I'm going to stick my head up above water and yeah. So there was certainly no reason the code had to be perfect. I realized talking to her, she's, she's showing me the code for her final project. I was like, you know what you do here? You see it for what it is. It's something that she made to work. Given her experience, even not given her, her, her lack of experience, it was, it was something that worked. And what she had made work was very impressive. She had obviously worked very, very hard on it. And so, you know, I, I, real, I realized very quickly, just get done off your high horse and realize your job here is to encourage. Yet there's probably no one else. This is why you are mentoring her, because you, there's no one else in her life that is going to look at this and say, good job. Well done, bravo. You know, I, I, I'm proud of you for putting in the effort. It's gonna pay dividends. Awesome. 
I, I come from like, you, my dad is like, I would not sit here and criticize my dad at length. He's like, he's like the best dude I know. But he definitely was not in the habit of handing out praise. I think there's kind of a school of thought that you start praising people, giving people positive feedback, that it's going to make them soft. His father was a World War II vet. Very, I wouldn't use the, the word gruff to describe very many men. My grandfather on my dad's side was definitely gruff. He was, he was solid. I, I, I know he was in World War II. I don't think he was actually a, I, I don't think he was combative. I think he had one of those, he was an engineer. I think he was a chemical engineer by trade. And I think during the war, his job was to comb fields and clear them for landmines. Yeah, I remember he told me a story. Apparently once he met, he met Patton. Patton came up to him and said, hey, we need to get through this field. Can you do it in this time frame? My grandfather said, yes, it will be done. And he did it. That's all I know about that story. I remember him telling me that. I don't think I understood the significance of that. I knew who Patton was, but he was clearing a field for landmines. That has got to take balls. How do you... Wow. Somebody, I had a friend in Santa Barbara who told me that apparently there are some countries where there are land, there, there are fields that are just full of landmines. They're old. They're still active. Like they'll still go off. And what they'll do if they have to get through it I don't know when this would be true. When would you have to know? When, when could you just not go around one of these places? What, he told me what they would do is they would find a kid, a local kid. These are, these are very, very poor countries. So if you give them $10, like 10 American dollars, it's a lot of money. To them, it's worth the risk. They, they'd put paint on their feet and just run across the field. And if they made it, then they knew wherever the painted footsteps were, they could they could safely trek that. That can't possibly be true. I can't. When could you not just go around some place that has landmines in it? If, if you if you put some paint on a kid's feet, like it's a few steps in, there's going to be no more paint left. You're not going to be leaving any trails. And it's possible for like the kid to like jump over like the trigger for a, you could be walking the same path between the footsteps. There could be a trigger. Yeah. None of this adds up. I saw a Google was having a competition. It was like apply technology solutions for good. Uh, 
and they had some different categories. Like here are here is a, a short list of problems that it would benefit humanity if you were to tackle. And somewhere on that list, it was like ten things. One of them was land mine, like diffusing. I I remember being very surprised by that. You you want you, you mean to tell me that there are so many just untriggered landmines that we have put all over the, the planet in so many places that like, this is one of the biggest problems. How dumb are we? Talk about short-sighted. Let's just, just plant landmines there. But when the war is over, Dave, it's like, <laughs> Going to have a picnic at a park and just dumping your trash on the ground. Eh, it'll work itself out. Except, of course, if you leave trash behind in a park, it's not going to, like, blow anyone's leg off. Ugh. Feel, cause feels good to talk this through. You know, that, uh, the whole thing about landmines has really been weighing on me. <laughs> it's just good to get that out. It's not. It's not even funny. It's so terrible. I think. <clears throat> People are so awful in some respects. So wonderful in others. Yet yeah. we're just such a rich tapestry. It does feel good to talk these through. I, I keep. I, I think I say this like once for every podcast that I do. But everyone should really try doing this. Just, just to learn how to practice articulating your thoughts. It's definitely something I need practice doing. Um, yeah, no, I, even as recently as like three years ago, I remember it's somebody asks me a question or I'm in a conversation. It's my, my turn to speak. I, I'm better at it now. I've been watching it, but there was certainly it's kind of this rambly nature to it. You speak too fast. Yeah, one, it, it wasn't always clear immediately what point I wanted to make. What is it I really want to say? Even if I knew the point, it wasn't clear that I was, I, I, I was not good at putting together the words to express it quickly. And I, you know, I was insecure enough, radically insecure. Uh, like just not liking the attention to be on me. So it's my turn to speak. I, I don't want to like abuse the other person's attention. Everybody's listening to me. So it's like, I, I am inclined to just like talk as quickly as I can. Just really rapid fire with no focus way too long. People would have to cut me off and say, just dude, chill. <laughs> yeah. Now that was the thing. It kind of reminds me of. So I guess like that to say like Jordan Peterson. I speaking of yeah transgender transsexual, long as we're in this area. I don't know what it is that has been so controversial about him. I, I'm not really, don't really want to talk about that. He's very. Uh, He's definitely very cogent at times. Like I mentioned before, I am reading Carl Jung. 
His stuff is absolutely brilliant, but it is dense and you have to, you really have to work to get through it. It's definitely worth the effort. At some point, I didn't start learning Koine Greek so I could read the New Testament. I didn't get very far in that, but I learned enough, at least know the alphabet so I can pronounce things. And I spent some time learning French. This is good because Carl Jung will just throw in a random French phrase, Latin phrase, a Greek phrase. I don't, I don't know Latin. But just scattered throughout. It's not like he puts the translation after it. He just throws in some foreign thing. It's like, if you don't know what this is, good luck figuring it out. Hope you can get it from context. Um, but his ideas are absolutely fascinating. And I, 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 I'm not always in the mood to just sit there and, and, and read this dense stuff. I wish I, I wish I had the brain that could just always sit down and read crazy stuff like Kant or whatever, but, uh, you know, occasionally I'll like look for, okay, maybe listen to Jordan Peterson talk about Carl Jung's ideas because when he, when he is speaking, there are times where he will just drop a one sentence statement about something. It's just a very, very concise point, very well articulated. And he just, stops he'll just say something you just think wow that was very well said i have to think about that for a moment he leaves space for it to um but there there are definitely times i feel like it's when he's talking about religion where it's like he's he's kind of in the process of verbally getting out a paragraph like he's just constructing this this sequence of thoughts try and make a point about X and it will take the form of, well, the thing about X is X is you have this and, that, okay, and there's also, that means that you also have to consider Y, Y is also a thing and that, that's separate, but getting back to X with, and so he'll go off on all these kind of, he'll branch the conversation, he'll branch the flow of what he's saying it, it, often to these different topics. And it's like, you have to kind of just, just put a pin in those mentally. It, it makes it, it makes it harder to follow. You can still follow him. And it's definitely interesting. The fact that he's just throwing together these connections between interrelated subjects. He jump, jump from psychology to politics to philosophy. Um, it's obviously that this, this very well-connected map, this densely connected graph in his head. It's nice to get a glimpse of that. But if you're trying to follow the point, like what X is, it definitely puts a lot of cognitive burden on whoever is listening. Yeah, a few years ago, when I was unable to speak well, I was kind of like that, only not nearly as intelligent. Just, just going off on... Like just, just stay, stay in one lane. Anyway, it's good to get practice doing that. Communication is very, very hard. It's very, very easy to lose people. And it's very, very easy to think that you're doing it well. When in reality, you are, you're most definitely not.
So, how about this coronavirus? This is like the one thing that I do not want to talk about. On the off chance anyone out there is listening to this, I think we all need a break from that as the subject. I do have to say, I really, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. Uh, the San Francisco mayor, London Breed, clearly has a very, very good head on her shoulder. Very, very sharp woman. Um, seems she had some personal experience with. I, I forget what the story is, but she, she, she knew about this coronavirus situation and. Of the major cities in the country, she she was one of the first to say, we have to lock all of this down now. At, at a point that was early enough when people would have objected to it. There still would have been some, well, is this really, there was still doubt. Not a lot of it, but there was still, there were still pockets. And people, people went with it. They've gone with it. It seems like the city in general has been very, very good sports about it. And it's it's been very, very mild here. It, it, we've been able to contain it. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what it's like out there. Talk about a bubble. I, it's 4.20 tomorrow. We were talking about marijuana earlier, right? This is the marijuana episode. And yeah, so... The mayor of San Francisco uh, tweeted a few days ago, like, do not come to San Francisco for 420. Do not come try to go to our parks, gather to celebrate this. We will cite you if, if needed. We'll arrest you. We are going to crack down. This is not something we are going to tolerate at all. Now, I, I, I don't really have a problem. If you want to, like, gather, it is fine. If you want to vape marijuana, whatever you want to do, go for it. I really don't have <clears> – I'm not going to call for any sort of restrictions. But it, it, 420 is something that just bothers me. The fact that, that there's just this day and people gather – to celebrate something as meaningless as just we're going to consume this, this, this we're going to smoke this flower and and get high and sit around and do whatever it is like that's the only thing to this that that kind of irks me so I it was I was kind of like overjoyed like, yeah okay. You wouldn't expect to see this. Like San Francisco is the one city you wouldn't ex- you would not expect to see the mayor saying like we're going to arrest you if you come and smoke weed in this town. <laughs> right? I guess if you're if you're not observing the social distancing rules, I, th- I think she made a point of coming out and saying medicinally our residents still depend on marijuana, so dispensaries will remain open as an essential business. But still, 420 is no. I, I I always like the one useful thing about 420 is that when I was on Facebook and using it regularly, 
the people from high school that I really didn't know, but for sport, we're all friends with each other because it's what you're supposed to do. The ones that are like posting about 420 on for like, yeah, like I can, I can unfollow you right here. I don't need whatever it is you're saying the other 364 days of the year. I don't need it in my feed. It's the perfect filter. I, 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 again, I don't care if you do it. Just it's not something. It can't be the only topic of a conversation. I can barely like drinking. Okay, sit around and like compare sour beers. Like, how does this one compare to this one? I kind of get that. Like, is there actually like a significant like? In the domain of marijuana, is there actually like a gradation that you can move around this landscape and it's, it's like markedly different? It's barely markedly different. People are like comparing IPAs to each other. Like this one tastes better than this one. At some point, I, just, I can't tell anymore. Like a Pilsner is not an IPA, sure, but I, I, Pilsners especially, you're talking about something so mild. How do people distinguish a good Pilsner from a bad Pilsner? It's like, you have to be a pro at this. Oh, and speaking of sommeliers, I live right across the street from a, from a really fancy wine bar. And I, I love this place. I, I kind of wish I was still... I wish I was still capable of going out and just let you have a, a couple of drinks, you know, go meet friends. Like, let's go hang out somewhere. This place is gorgeous. It's, it's wooden interior, wooden beams. You feel like you're in not quite a log cabin. It kind of has that feel to it. It's dark wood. You have all the wine glasses hanging uh, on a rack in the middle. Generally, there's classy music playing. I was in there, they were playing like the Rat Pack. Sometimes it's more pop stuff. Very upscale. People tend to dress well when they go in there. It's uh, comfortable chairs. Oh, it's a great ambiance. I, I just, go, if, if I'm going to like go out and just have a glass of wine, I, I, I really don't, I can't do that much. But if I'm, okay. Let's just do it. That's where I go. Just take a book and yeah, just go sit there. It it is wonderful. Anyway, I was there on New Year's last last year, like 2018 to 2019, like that switch. And I was sitting at the bar, and it was actually pretty. It was pretty busy. It was still early in the night, maybe nine. There's, there's no way I'm anywhere near any kind of a bar approaching midnight on New Year's Eve. This is early in the evening. Um, but I, I struck up a conversation with the lady who was serving me. Um, and I asked her, like, so you have these different wine glasses, right? I, I remember looking up on my phone with there was like a, a Bordeaux. I don't remember what they are, but there's like seven different kinds. 
And I said, does, does this really make a difference? Like, does it, does it matter which, is it just cosmetic? And she, she was apparently a level two Somalia. There's apparently three levels. Uh, but she was, she, she knew what she was doing. This place is legit. And she was like, absolutely. Yes. So she like pulled out a couple of glasses that were in size and shape right next to each other. Like it, it's a gradient. It goes from like thin and they get fatter. She picked two right in the middle next to each other, put them down, took one bottle of wine and poured a little bit into each glass and said, now, if you drink out of this one, it's going to taste like this and you'll smell this. And if you drink out of this other one, the same wine, it's going to taste completely different and smell completely different. Just what she described was so radically, I think there's no way this can be true. And she was totally right. Uh, somehow, like, the shape of the glass, the scent that you get, somehow affects the taste of what it is you're drinking. I, I, I don't actually know the science behind that, but I was, I, I, I thought she had somehow hoodwinked. It's like, what was, what is the sleight of hand? I just kind of think to be a sommelier, do you have to be able to, you, you could take your skills and, and apply them to the, the magic castle in Los Angeles? Is it the same set of skills or is there actually something to this? <laughs> and it would be, yeah, it was, it was very, very interesting. I haven't figured it out. Uh, she did that with a couple of different wines. Um, just gave me some samples. Really interesting. Uh, and yeah, apparently she's a level two sommelier, but she was, she was telling me she, she was working towards her level three sommelier certification, like the next level up. And she said, like, if you're, if you're doing that, basically your days when you are not working, trying to like devise a menu for a restaurant, you are just sitting at home or someplace with a bunch of bottles of wine and you are just drinking them, making a note of what they taste like, kind of like, I'd imagine you have to have a memory, like memory is tied in, like you, you can index in your brain, like which wine corresponds to what. You just have like a, a taste of memory for these things. You're just drinking the wine and spitting it out. Like you're just, just sitting there with a big bucket, just tasting wines. Like this is the training. I couldn't tell if this is like the the worst job or the best job. I, I've never heard of anything like that. It's a, it's a, astonishing. And I definitely don't have a sophisticated palate. Like I was saying. I, an IPA is an IPA is an IPA for the most part. I guess I can kind of taste, taste the difference if you double it up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's even, that's roughly twice as much IPA. Anyway, I think, I think that's the secret, you know. Um, you have to retain your capacity to have your mind blown, you know, I'm what, uh, I was 36 years old at the time, just wandering around on New Year's Eve, walked into a wine bar 
and asked about the glasses and I, I just completely blown away by something I, I did not understand and never even thought about before. More of that, please. Just keep it coming. Keep the, keep the mystery, the curiosity afloat. Yeah. As soon as life stops su- surprising you, then it it's, becomes a grind. And you, you have to let yourself be amazed. You have to be open to it. I'm open to life, just not camping and not going on dates with transsexuals and transgenders, as aforementioned. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what I've thought about doing if I was like fabulously wealthy. There's a lot of things I think I would do. I would probably do absolutely none of them. I would probably just. I don't know what I would just buy a pile of opium, move into a house somewhere and just completely lose my mind. I I have no idea. I I don't think you can know what you would do if you ever, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Um, But it seems like there's this, the story that you find a, a treasure map where you follow some trail of clues and then you come across something that is so you know, wealthy, like just, just some, something that's it's so valuable. Um, somebody has to set those things up for, in order for that to play out anywhere, somebody has to have gone to the trouble of like hiding something and then leaving a trail of arrows, so to speak, that, that point to the thing so it can be found and it has to be hidden well enough that it wouldn't be found by accident. Uh, but, but not so hard that it's not the, I guess the clues themselves would have to be impervious. If any one of the clues got. Yeah. I would do that. I guess it wouldn't even have to be anything of that. You could do this even if you're not rich, it could just be like you. I, I guess that could be the joke. You could just like, put clues around, like chains of clues that lead to things. I, I, I guess you could just bury like an empty chest or something that maybe would have value in the future, but is worthless to you now. It's something that might appreciate in value. I don't know what that would be. Coins. I doubt our pennies are ever going to be worth much in this. But yeah, bury, burying, like setting up something for, so like a future Indiana Jones, an archaeologist can find this thing and be like, oh, I've got to break into the wall in this library. I don't know, that's just, it's kind of, the kind of whimsy. You have no guarantee. You, you, if you did it well enough, you would die not knowing whether anybody would ever stumble upon this trail you'd ever found. But I, I, I feel like if I did that, instead of a bunch of those things, I'd, I'd die happy. Did it for the children. For the future. Well, um, I get a couple hours of sunshine every afternoon directly on my balcony where I am. Looks like I'm getting some of that now. 
day is slowly winding down, so I'm going to go get some vitamin D. I'm going to go get while the getting is good. Uh, so, as always out there in podcast land, it's been a pleasure speaking through layers and layers of technology to you. I hope wherever you are, you and yours are healthy. I hope you remain healthy. hope you're doing well in this unprecedented, crazy time we are living through. Uh, yeah. Take care now. I will talk to you later. This is Jim signing off. Cheers.